Well, good morning. I'm so glad you could be with us this morning. Again, we just want to say welcome to those folks who are joining us online. Um, we're going to continue our series through the book of Revelation. Um, we see when we look through the book of Revelation that there's just tons of things going on. And we've been talking about several of these different things. So this morning I gave you a handout to kind of go along. We'll, we'll get to that in just a, a minute here. But um, I, grab a pencil so you can scribble on that at, at some point. I hate to admit it, but I even, uh, um, I've got 10 things listed on there and I forgot two pretty important things on there. But as we go through the sermon this morning we'll we'll get to those revelation chapter one starting in verse one no we're not going all the way back there again but just a heads up the revelation of jesus christ so the book of revelations again let's remember that this is a revelation given by jesus christ himself to the apostle john and he told john at points i want you to write this down there's some things he didn't want him to write down and we see not only john uh through this, but we also have the introduction of several angels along the way, um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about those today. So we're in Revelation chapter 19. We're we're closing in on it. I, I'd like to think, hey, we're going to actually make we're only 27 weeks into it, so we'll, we'll get there. Um, but uh, Revelation chapter 19, an angel said to me, "This is John writing." He, the angel said, "Write this down. Write this. Blessed are those." who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. In other words, the angel saying, look, God wants you to know that you're blessed if you're invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and your sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Worship God. For it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Here's what I want us to understand we take out of this. Here we have an angel who is in a position of authority, and when John bows down to worship him, the angel says, whoa, 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 back up, back up, not me, not me, not me. This is an angel who's trying to stay in right position. What did Satan want to do? He wanted to do just the opposite, right? I'm going to rise to the level of God. I'm going to be God. You should worship me. And that's going to come up again. We're going to see that again just a little bit later on in the book. So here what we see is an angel who is really trying to keep John in a right spot. And we read through, as we've read through Revelation chapter 18, and then early in 19, we saw the fall of the collapse of the world system. Really, it's the, it's the, the fall of the, the financial system. It's going to be a fall of the religious system. It's going to be a fall of the, the political system. Everything we know, the things that we consider are the way that the world should be run is going to collapse. And when that happens, we just read this a little bit earlier in Revelation chapter 19, that there is a celebration in heaven. And yet through all of that, John is admonished, look, don't worship me. Worship Christ alone. He is the one. This is, a, this is, again, look, for you can watch all kinds of goofy stuff out there online or people, you know, having conversations with angels or seeking spirits or looking for Bigfoot or looking for, you know what, let's focus on Jesus. How's that? Let's try that one more time. Let's focus on Jesus. How's that? All right, let's make that our focus. Because I'm here to tell you, if you're out looking for demons, you're going to find them. Okay? It might not be a good afternoon for you, but if you're out looking for them, you're going to find them. 
So we've covered, uh, as we've covered the revelation to this point, we've covered the letters to the churches. We've talked a little bit about the church age. We've talked about the rapture of the church. We've talked about the tribulation. But today on your timeline, I've given you, I want to see what's happening in, in this whole process. So we're going to skip to that slide, and I'm going to try something fancy here. There we go. Now, you, you can't see all of this, I'm sure, as far away as some of us are, but the first thing that we, we have here in this timeline of eternity, we, we think about the last days. All we think about is the hell that's going to break out in this period right here. Well, there's a lot more to the last days than that. The last days actually begins while Jesus is here on earth. The first thing that we see is the ascension of Christ. Um, we have a record of this in the book of Mark and in the book of Luke, but we also have it in the book of Acts, and that's what I want to read from this morning, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. We believe that this is Luke who is writing, and he says, in my, first, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about uh, all that Jesus had begun to do and teach. Theophilus is an individual that, that Luke is writing to. Unto the day that he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke to them about the kingdom. So we have the, the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then after that, he ascends to heaven. He leaves the earth. And when he ascends, he also sends the Holy Spirit. Okay? So God is still present on, this, on the earth, but now he's here in the form of the Holy Spirit. Many convincing proofs. He was taken up. Some people say, we have no, nowhere in the Bible does it talk about rapture. Here's a rapture. He was here. He's gone. Matter of fact, the angels were standing there. Well, we'll, we'll just, we'll go on a little bit farther. Let, let, me, let me just take a breath. Okay, he was taken up to heaven. There are more proofs. We'll look at that in just a little bit. Um, the word that's used here is the same word that's used in 1 Corinthians. The word in the original language, this taking up, is harpazo. The Greeks translated into rapio, and that's where we get our word rapture. So we actually do have uh, proof or evidence that the word rapture is in the Bible. If you'll recall last week, we, recall last week, we talked about the tradition of the ancient Hebrew wedding, and we're going to look at a little bit more of that today. I feel like we kind of maybe muddied the water last week. The ancient Hebrew wedding began with a betrothal. It's when a contract between the groom and the parents of the bride uh, was signed or they made an agreement, they shook hands on it, and there was a dowry exchanged. So, you know, when I went to, when I, uh, I, I, I proposed to my wife, I called her dad first and I said, you know, I, I want to ask you if I can ask your daughter to marry me. Now, we were kind of already down that road, but we, I asked. And so the dowry, the exchange, was I gave her a ring. It was a promise. It was something that took place. Fortunately, he said yes. Otherwise, I'm not really sure what would have happened. But he agreed. There, so there was, a, there was a meeting. There was a dowry of sorts. Well, here, what we see is that Jesus, the dowry for the bride, the bride is anybody who's going to believe in Jesus Christ, come to faith in him. That dowry was actually the blood of Jesus. He gave his life for the church. That's a pretty big, pretty big deal. That betrothal took place. It's the price that the bridegroom 
paid. And then the Bible says that he went to prepare a place for her. Now, in, in ancient Hebrew weddings, that's exactly what happened. There was an agreement, and then the groom would disappear, generally for about a year, and he'd do an addition, usually to his father's house or on his father's property. Very, very common. John, as a matter of fact, John 14, 2 says, my father's house has many rooms. If we're not so, I would have told you, but I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised you, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom, of, the kingdom to Israel? They were still convinced that Jesus was coming as this, as this uh, white knight on, on, on a, this, uh, this amazing horse. He's, he's going to come and he's going to rescue them. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set in his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And after this, he said this. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes in a cloud, uh, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as, as he was going, and suddenly two men dressed in white stood behind the men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you in heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go. Let your mind go for just a minute, Okay. And we read that, we read that, and we think, you've got to stand up, man, sorry, you're sitting in the front row, it's just one of the, one of the failures, one of the problems of sitting in the front row. So we're sitting here having a conversation, and Alfonso says to me, hey, you know what, it's really been good hanging out here, but I'm going to go, because I've got a job to do. I'm like, yeah, all right. And then I turn to say something to Raymond, and I turn back, he's gone. You can sit down. He's gone, like gone. Like I'm standing there and I'm talking to him and he's gone. And we're all standing there looking. This is what the disciples were doing. He just told us he was going to go and prepare a place for us and they're standing there and two angels show up on the scene. What are you looking at? We don't know. We, we kind of think it was a harpazio. <laughs> we kind of think he's, he's gone. There's something just happened. Now, either the gospel of Jesus Christ is a lie or it's crazy or God was really involved, right? Exactly. I think God was just really involved. So the Holy Spirit, Jesus ascends and when he does, the Holy Spirit comes down. So that's one of the first things that we see here on our screen is the descent of the Holy Spirit. Up until this point in time, up until this point in time, God has been dealing strictly through the Jewish world. He has sent all of his prophets. He sent everybody to, to, to he, the Jews were his chosen people. So Jesus leaves, and the Bible says he's going to prepare a place for the bride. Get this. Get, this might not bother you, okay? This, these are things that go on in my head. It's a scary place to be. 
with the bride left or the groom left to prepare a place for the bride to build a home. And he was gone for about a year. Typically, that's when he'd be gone for about a year and he'd come back. Jesus has been gone preparing a place for us for how long? About 2,000 years? Are we ready yet? I'm ready. Has he got it done? I mean, he might need some help shingling. I'm not sure. Maybe not. In his father's house, there are many mansions. He said, otherwise, I would, I would have told you so. So what happens here is as the Holy Spirit descends, we have the birth of the church age. It's the Gentile reign in the church, Gentile reign. Maybe that's not exactly the way I want to put it. Jesus ascends to the Holy Spirit and he, and he, sends, he sends, ascends to the Father and he sends the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit, part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to draw people into relationship with him. That's part of the role of the Holy Spirit. What we see here in number three is the Jews. If you look at this chart and you see that the Jews are kind of displaced almost. Instead of this being a straight line, they're kind of set on a different course. Now that does not mean by any way, shape, or form that God is done with the Jewish nation. As a matter of fact, they're going to come back on the scene in just a little while. And God's going to use them. But at this point in time, he's using the Gentiles. It, things have taken place now. Uh, he, we've gone from just this promise of deliverance for the Jewish nation. Now this is opened up to all people. It's opened up to you and I. The Bible says that Jesus came to his own and they did not recognize him. The Jewish nation was looking for, a, again, a, a, a knight on a white horse to come and deliver him. But the role of the Jewish nation kind of goes into neutral and we have the rise of the church age. When I say the church age, I'm talking about this current dispensation of time that we are in right now. The, the church age, it's where God chooses to reveal his grace and his mercy to the Gentiles. He, he told Paul, right? He said, I've got a special assignment for you. Up until the, that time, Saul, his name was Saul, he was out actually persecuting the church um, because they didn't believe in Jesus. They were looking for a different Messiah. So he gets on the road to, to uh, 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 where was he going? Where's he going? Yeah. He's on his way, he was on the, the, the way, and, and God actually knocks him off of his high horse, right? Puts scales on his eyes puts scales on his eyes. He sends a, a real believer to go and pray for him. All of a sudden, Paul sees and God says, I'm going to change your name. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use you. Read about it in the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see it three times. I'm going to use you in order to change the Gentile world. The people that I, that I sent an invitation to, I wanted to come to the wedding, they wouldn't come to the wedding, so now we're going to send an invitation to the highways and the byways. Can anybody say hallelujah? Because that all of a sudden included us. Hallelujah. Right? Previous to that, we were outside. We weren't on the invitation list. You and I were not on the guest list until that point in time. But the Jews rejected Jesus, and so they end up kind of in this, this space. Now, now, we see here, Jesus is looking uh, clear up, to clear up to the end. We'll, we'll get to that. He look, he's still looking for anybody who is willing to call on his name. He's, that invitation is extended for every one of us, but the Bible says that Jesus came to his own and they didn't recognize him. The next step that we're going to see, which is I, I believe is where we're at as a people right now, is the end of the church age. My clicker is not clicking. Let me get closer. There we go. Number four is the rapture. 
I believe that the next thing, okay, so listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Paul says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You and I, in this flesh and blood body that we have, cannot fully inherit the kingdom of of God. We can't do it. This body can't handle it. Nor does the perishable inherit imperishability. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in the flash of an eye, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the imperishable must clo- the perishable must clothe itself with imperishability and the mortal with immortality. Hang on, there is something on the horizon for the church. Right? Do you believe that? Seven of you believe that. There is something coming for the church. And here's the deal. Do you know when, when Jesus was born that there were over 300 prophecies that were fulfilled in that moment? Do you know, did you know that? 300 prophecies. Did you know that there are eight prophecies of the return of Christ for every single prophecy about his birth? 2,400 prophecies in Scripture that Jesus is coming back. Guess what? He's coming back. He's coming back. This is what's known as something that is imminent. 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 There is nothing that precludes him at any point from coming back. It is imminent. It is going to take place. There was only 300 prophecies about his birth. There's 2,400 prophecies about him coming back. Guess what? He's coming back. He is coming back. And when he comes back, there has to be a mechanism. There has to be a, a, a trigger. Listen to what uh, Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. So what, what's going on here is they're learning about the, the rapture and they're learning about all these things that are going to go on and they're concerned because people are dying and are they going to miss the second coming of Jesus? And Paul says, you know, I'm not going to miss anything I, want you, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. When he comes back the second time, remember, 2,400 prophecies about that. When he comes back the second time, he ain't coming by himself. He's bringing all those who have fallen asleep in him. In him, what, what does that mean? It means they've put their hope, their trust, their confidence, their covering. It's in him. This is the blood of Jesus, okay? And, and so, so there's the old song. I am covered over with the robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to me. I am covered over with the precious blood of Jesus, and he lives in me. What a joy it is to know my heavenly Father loves me so. He gives to me my Jesus. And when he looks at me, he sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. 
That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what it means to be clothed with his righteousness. It's something that we put on when we believe in Jesus, that instantaneous transformation that takes place when you say, you know what, God, I need you in my life. There's an instantaneous transformation that takes place on your spirit man on the inside. Cheryl described that soul that needs to catch up. We gotta, we gotta get right. We gotta submit everything that we have to Christ, and there's gonna be a change. We've come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We've been transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son into that kingdom of light and there's a change there's a transformation that goes on on the inside and the more we feed ourselves God's word the more we get it Paul says look I don't want you to be ignorant about this we believe that Jesus died and he rose again and so that we believe God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him according to the Lord's word we tell you that we who are still alive hang on to this we who are still alive Uh, who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So first, there's going to be a resurrection of the saints, the saints who have died. Right here, there's going to be a resurrection. End of the church age, Jesus is coming back, a mighty trumpet, up come the saints of old, the people who have died in Christ. The Lord himself, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, with a trumpet call, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still here and alive will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we will be Him with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Be encouraged. It's imminent. It is going to happen. You say, well, that's, that's never happened in my lifetime. Hang on. It could. One of these times I'm going to jump like this and I'm not going to land. My shoes are just going to be there. You know, man, what happened to Pastor Tim is imminent. It's going to go. We're going to go. Part, what, what should this do for us? You just think about this for a minute. If you know that Jesus Christ is ready to return at any time, what should we be doing with our time? Whatever he wants, right? In that ancient Jewish wedding, Hebrew wedding, what they would do is is when the father says, okay, it's time to go, son gets his boys and they get up and they get ready and they're marching through town and all of a sudden they're blowing on the chauffeur, so far, we're on our way. And the guys run ahead and what they do is they grab the the, the bride and they, they put her on a little, I don't know what you call it, seat. And they lift her up and they fly her away. I'll fly away, oh glory. You say, okay, okay, pastor. Okay, pastor. There's a little on the crazy side. Maybe you've kind of had a little too much sugar in your Cheerios this morning. <clears throat> why do you think, why do you think that the church should escape the, the, uh, the, all of the persecution? Why should, you know, the inference, as somebody just asked me this. And the inference is, why should the U.S. church escape all the persecution that's going on in the world? Let me ask you a question. Where does persecution come from? Does it come from God? Is it God's heart that we'd be persecuted? I can't tell you why persecution goes on in different parts of the world, different kinds of cultures, different belief systems, different 
everything that goes on. And we as a nation have truly been blessed, right? Like, like the, the craziest thing I've gotten for persecution is you're a pastor. Surprise. Shocks everybody else every Sunday morning. Surprise. I really haven't been persecuted. And even if we face persecution, it's just the beginning, right? It's no big deal. Now let me ask you this. Why should the church, why should the U.S. church, and why should the church get away? Why should we escape this? We've just read through all the judgments, the 21 judgments that happened in the book of Revelation. Where do those judgments come from? Are they just simply this whole, this whole tribulation time that we look at in verse 5? Is that tribulation time? Is that just something that the devil has cooked up? I've been teaching on this for 26 weeks. Don't make me go back to the beginning. <laughs> Where does that tribulation come from? It's God's wrath. That's the difference. Why should we get away? We're not getting away from persecution. This isn't persecution we're talking about. What we're talking about is the wrath of God, such as has never been seen before. You say, well, pastor, I'm not really sure. The wrath of God, that sounds like, you know, have we ever really experienced that before? You heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? I'm pretty sure before Sodom and Gomorrah, nobody had ever seen stones of fire falling from the sky, right? Anybody here ever seen it? I'm not talking about the movies either. Can you imagine fire and brimstone? They claim in that area of, of the Middle East, you can still smell the brimstone in that valley. It's still there. The archaeologists have actually dug up pieces of brimstone, and it's the best description I've ever heard is it's, it's otherworldly. It's like it isn't even from here. Have we ever heard of other mass judgments coming on the earth? What about a flood? Oh, I don't know. I think that was just a local flood. Hmm. I don't think so. Hmm. Not sure. Actually, I'm sure, and I don't believe it was a local flood. The Bible says it covered everything, the entire earth, covered over the mountains, everything, every peak, every peak was been covered. There is something that is getting ready to take place. The rapture, I believe, is imminent. There are over 2,400 prophecies. And we're talking about the bride. We're talking about the, the, the wedding feast of the Lamb. People have been invited to this wedding feast. The church is caught up. And while the church is caught up in the air and we have the marriage supper of the Lamb, there's the great tribulation that we've been talking about for the last couple of months. It's literally the outpouring of hell on earth. We meet Christ in the air. We're heading for the wedding feast. And I don't have this listed, but please, if you have a pen, you pencil, you may want to list this. You may want to put it up somewhere here. Call it 5A if you want to. But 5A is the Bema Seat Judgment. If you ever heard about the Bema Seat Judgment, after the rapture, this Harpazio time, not only will we experience the wedding feast, but we're also going to stand face to face with our Savior for the Bema Seat Judgment. The Judgment Seat of Christ, there's two judgments that are spoken of in Scripture here. 
The judgment seat of Christ involves a time in the future when believers will give an account of themselves to Christ. This is a plain and clear teaching throughout Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is specifically a warning to Christians. It is not a warning to unbelievers. Paul is speaking to the church. Jesus taught this parable. The king is going to return. We see it in in Luke, uh, Luke 19. The king's going to return. He's going to wonder, what did you do with the gifts, the talents, the abilities that I gave you? What did you do with those things? The judgment seat of Christ is different from the white seat judgment, the great white throne judgment, I'm sorry. That's the final judgment of the wicked prior to them being cast into the lake of fire. That appears in Revelation chapter 20. We'll look at that, uh, I don't know, probably in seven or eight weeks. It's a whole chapter away. Um, Appearing before the great white throne judgment will only be unbelievers. Believers will will not appear at that judgment. The judgment seat of Christ does not hang on to this. The judgment seat of Christ, spoken about in in Corinthians, does not determine our salvation. That matter was settled at Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. 1 John 2, chapter uh, chapter 2 and verse 2. 1 John 2, 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but the sins of the whole world. Everybody's sin has been paid for. We simply have to accept it. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no con- If you're in Christ Jesus, you put on the blood of Jesus, you're wrapped in his righteousness, there is no condemnation for us. We're not gonna, it's not going to go before some judgment and determine whether we're going to be in heaven or hell. We either accepted Christ or we have not. Jesus said in John 5.24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word, and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. This is not the eternal judgment. Once you've said, I accept who Jesus is, I believe him, I've repented of my ways, God, I need you in my life, you go from death unto life and there are gonna be from there, the works that you did over here are going to be determined, judged from life or death, good or bad, but you are not going to be taken out of God's hands. Amen? Amen. This is the place where you want to be. And now what happens is those works that we have done are going to be determined to be were they good or were they bad? Were they filled with fruit? Were they not filled with fruit? So believers are secure in Christ, but we still must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It will be a time of examination and a time of reward. Jesus will inspect our works. What did we do with the resources and the gifts that he gave us? How faithful were you? Were you yielded to the Spirit? Did you seek honor or did you seek to give Christ honor? Were you attempting to further the work of his kingdom? We are going to be rewarded. There's all places all over Scripture that talk about our rewards. Did we neglect the opportunities that we have to serve? If so, we're going to suffer loss. Think about I just want you to grab this. Every one of us, every day has opportunities. There are days when you know God has put an opportunity to do something for his kingdom in your life. What'd you do with it? What did you do with it? I had somebody one day come to me after church and said, you know, you, you probably should have been a school teacher. I could have been. They're not gonna let me preach the gospel. That gift of teaching was 
determined for the body of Christ. Let me, let me just take this, okay? I could have not, and I know that there are teachers who are out there, they're, they're doing what they can to proclaim the gospel in their classrooms every day. But I knew that God called me into ministry. I knew that at a rather young age. I knew that God called me into ministry. Well, what do I do with that? I'm going to say, oh, you know what? I can go and teach. I can teach, I can teach a class here on welding. I can teach a class on this. Or I can teach a class on that. Or I can teach a class. Or I can take that gift that God's given me and I can use it for the body of Christ. What do we do with that? Do we submit those gifts to the Spirit? What about the opportunity when he tells you, hey, you know, your neighbor's really got issues. You need to go over and, and speak to your, help your neighbor, do something for your neighbor. What are we going to do with that? He's given each one of us opportunities. Here's another passage of Scripture. The Bible says that the gifts of God and the call of God are without repentance. You know what that means? That means, Gerald, if God has called you to be an evangelist, go all over the world, he wants you to be in Haiti next week and in Africa three weeks later, he's called you to do that. You stand up and proclaim the gospel. You don't get to say, ah, sorry, God, I didn't want to do that today. It's without repentance. The gifts of God and the call of God, who he's called you to be, we don't just get to determine, ah, I don't want to do that. You know why? We're going to be held accountable for that. When are we going to be held accountable? I accepted Jesus. I'm not going to hell. No, but there is a judgment that's coming that deals with our works, that deals with what we did with what he gave us. You and I, you say, well, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't hit the mark all the time. I almost got to tell you, I really don't expect us to hit the mark all the time. But we should be pressing on towards the heart, the high calling of God, towards the mark of the high calling of God. We should be looking to say, God, every day I want to do what you want me to do. Every day, every day. I had a buddy who used to drive semi. I have never seen a fruit picker like this in my entire life. You know, the Bible says that some people plant and some people water and some people sow. This buddy of mine, his name was Jack, and he would get on the CB as he's driving down the road, and he'd start talking to somebody. One o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, he's talking to him, talking to him. There's got a guy on the other end who's getting ready to give his life to Jesus. I just really need somebody to pray with me. And inevitably, Jack would say, where are you at? Well, I'm at mile marker 52. I'm at mile marker 51. Pull over, there's a cafe, I'll catch up, and he'd pick fruit. Time and time. I heard story after story after story. I mean, being, man, he's just crazy. It was like, I was just in the right place at the right time. Oh, what a coincidence. <laughs> no, no, no. What a God-sidence. God put it there. Well, you know, you're at mile marker 51. Huh. You know, I really got a load. I got to get to where I got to. How about I, how about I just pray for you now? I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. We're not going to do it now. There's going to be a judgment. There's going to be a judgment. Do we neglect the opportunities? Again, if the, if the second coming of Christ is that imminent, if we know he's coming, he said you're supposed to be about our Father's work. That's what we're supposed to do. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10, the second half of verse 10 through verse 15. Each one should build with care. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, the building of your life should be put on the foundation of Christ. Don't try to lay any other foundation. Don't base it on anything else. Base it on the shed blood of Jesus. 
If anyone builds on this foundation using gold and silver and costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their works will be shown for what it is. Because the day because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and that fire will test the quality of each person's work. What you do is going to be tested. As a believer, the things that we've done is going to be tested with fire. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only escaping through the flames. Look, folks, our works subsequent to Christ's salvation in our life are going to be two kinds. They're either going to be good or they're going to be bad. And the fire of God's scrutiny will reveal the quality of our work. An author by the name of Arthur Pink points out, gold, silver, and precious stones are of intrinsic value, whereas wood, hay, and stubble are natural growth. I don't even know if he knew what he was saying. They're natural growth. I can go out and try and teach out of my nature, out of my old nature, my old self. I can give you all I got. And you know what it's worth? Not much. But if it's led by God's spirit, all of a sudden it's got value. And that's what's going to stand the test of time. That is what's going to remain, is what God, what we do truly in Christ's name. Some of our works are going to be burned up. In the Greek, there is a single word for the word judgment seat here in Romans and in Corinthians, and that single word is bima, B-E-M-A. A bima was actually a raised platform. This is where this all comes from, the bima seat, was a raised platform that the judges sat on to view athletic games. Their job was to make sure that the contestants followed the rules and they presented the awards. That was their job. They sat on the bema seat. They were elevated. They're a little bit higher than everybody else. They're up here. They're checking out. Well, I can see what's going on. They're up there a little bit higher, this bema seat. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Do you know that all in a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will, that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone who's running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating at the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it slave so that after I have preached to others, I may, myself may not be disqualified for the prize. Paul's saying, look, I can go out and I can preach the gospel all day long, but I still have to remain faithful to God. I still have to remain faithful to what he's done. My works are going to be judged. The Bema seat was never placed to reprimand athletes or to punish them in any way. It was a place of testing and reward, testing and reward, testing and reward. In the same way, the Bema Seat of Christ is not, to, not a place of condemnation or censure. We, we actually read in Timothy and Peter and James and Revelation, the Bible talks about receiving crowns, receiving crowns. The Bema Seat or the judgment seat of Christ is not a time to punish sin. 
Jesus took our punishment once and for all. The judgment seat of Christ is a simply where we're called to report, what did you do with the gifts I gave you? And to render an accounting of what we did for Jesus. Truth of the matter is, I see it kind of like an Academy Awards without the Academy. Because Jesus is the only one who matters. Right? He has given us things to do. So while all this is going on in heaven, the Bema seat, the, the, the marriage feast of the Lamb, all hell is breaking out on earth. It's the time of that great tribulation. Now I know that people come at this from different, I've heard from a few of you, you know, pre-trib rapture, post-trib rapture, mid-trib rapture, pan-trib rapture. Pan-trib just means it's all going to pan out in the end. Here's the real question. What are we doing about what Christ has given us? Are we, have we accepted, have we accepted the wedding invitation? Are we at that point, you say, well, pastor, I've been coming to church for the last six months. I've been here for the last three months. been here for the last 14 years. doesn't make any difference if you're in church for 14 years. I have proven time and time and time and time and time and time and time again that I can stand in a garage all day long. I am not a mechanic. Right? You come to church all you want. If you've not accepted Christ, what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf, then you're not a follower. You're not born again. You've not accepted the truth that comes with and, and we're going to be judged on that. The great tribulation is not just going to be persecution. The great tribulation is a time of wrath, God's wrath that's been poured out. The Bible talks about this seven years where the church is taken away, where there's a rise of an antichrist and a false prophet. We've talked a bit about the antichrist leader that's going to rise to power. He's going to be a man. There's going to be influence halfway through the tribulation period, three and a half years in. During when he rises to power here. At, see, see, here's the deal. I believe that the, resur- the, 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 uh, the rapture of the church is, is actually going to be the impetus for all hell to break out on the earth in so many different ways. There's so many things that are coming down the line. Uh, Elon Musk was just interviewed the other day. Elon Musk, that's the name? Yeah, he was just interviewed the other day, and he said one of the things that the world has not paid attention to is artificial intel- intelligence. There is, an intel- there is stuff that's going on in the world. Um, I, it was funny because it was... It was the next day or two days later, there was a, a, a man who was in a pro- college professor was interviewed. And he said, right now, artificial intelligence can write screenplays and can write novels in about three and a half minutes. All you do is you set the parameters. I want to have this is the good guy. I want this is the bad guy. I want this is kind of the plot. You set it up and it will pump, pump, pump out a novel in three and a half minutes. Artificial intelligence is doing this stuff. Is that something for us to be afraid of? I don't believe so because the next thing on our calendar is the taking away of the church. And then this stuff is all going to hit the fan. I believe that is going to be the trigger. That's going to be the impetus for all those things that are going on. That brings us to Revelation chapter 19, which would be my third verse of the morning out of the book of Revelation, which we will deliver next week. (laughs) All of a sudden, we're going to see that all of this leads to the battle of Armageddon. That's where we're going to take off the resurrection of the tribulation saints. You know, people are still living and dying in this time. People, here's where we're going to see great persecution. We're going to see the church, anybody who accepts Christ, 
it's going to be very bad for them. We read about that already. But that resurrection is also coming. So next week, we're going to look at the uh, uh, chapter 19. We're going to look at the white, uh, the, the rider on the white horse who is Jesus Christ, and he's coming back. Amen? Lord, I just thank you for each person here. God, I pray that we'd walk away a little bit clearer and less muddy. I know I've, you know, it's been like a fire hydrant this morning, God, but I pray that, that this would help clear up where, what's going on, what, where we're, we're at in history, the things that are taking place. We don't know when you're coming back, Lord. That's, that's not the point. The point is you are coming back, and you're coming back for a people who are seeking to do your will. And, Lord, there's exciting days ahead. Bless each person here. Help them to go out of this place confident, uh, bold in you, knowing that, that your return is imminent, so we have a job to do until that day. Thank you for each person. Bless them, Lord. I pray you'll bless the people online. Give them the boldness to walk in your power and your strength. In Jesus' name, amen? amen? God bless you all. Have a great day, and go out and serve Jesus this week.